Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast looking at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended target audience, but still captivated by those glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson. And I'm Steve Alexander. Hello, Steve. Are you ready to search for something with me? Yeah, I've got my special binoculars out, but what are we looking for? Well, who knows, because the title gives nothing away. The title of this episode is The Search for Alpha Trion. Yeah. At this stage, we don't know, what, is it a planet? Is it a a special kind of hat? Is it a soup? Is it a... (laughs) Oh, I like Alpha Trion soup. That sounds like something good. Slight, slight good place tangent reference there. (laughs) But yes, we are on The Search for Alpha Trion, written by Beth Bornstein, who also wrote one of your very favourite episodes, Child's Play. You yeah. loved it, didn't you? <laughs> I uh, I thought Child's Play was rotten from top to bottom, but I well no, actually it had, it had some good ideas in it, but it just it just didn't work for me. But let's see. So I'm, I was dreading this one a bit when I saw that name, but let's see how it goes because I think I think it was actually a bit better than Child's Play in the end. It was a bit better than Child's Play, and in some respects, I think we could say it's a pivotal episode of the series for reasons that will become clear. Yeah. Well, we start off, we're back on Cybertron. It's back to Cybertron. So whatever this Alpha Trial is, it's on Cybertron somewhere. Back on Cybertron. In fact, most of the episode is on Cybertron. There's hardly anything anywhere else at all. But on Cybertron, we meet some new characters. In fact, we meet three female Autobots, as we later learn. They are specifically called female Autobots. I thought they were extinct, Jason. So did Shockwave, apparently. But no, uh, there are at least three at this point. Uh, one called Chromia, one called Moonracer, and one called Firestar. And they sneak into Shockwave's headquarters, apparently under the orders of someone called Elita One. Uh, sorry, was that Leader One? Almost. <laughs> Elita One. <laughs> Elita One. So nothing to do with the grey male leader of the GoBots. This is, this is somewhere else entirely. I... Okay, so it just happens they have similar names, I'm pretty sure. But they are very similar names, in my opinion. They are very similar names. Although, once again, I'm going to remind you, the GoBots came first. (laughs) GoBots always come first. (laughs) And uh, what are they doing in Shockwave's headquarters? They're looking for a stockpile of Energon cubes. Yeah, yeah. And it's they've got these really... So they, they blast their way in... Uh, I think Chromia congratulates Fire, Firestar for uh, for her sharp shooting, although she did just blast a door open. And they've got these funky little PKE meters like the Ghostbusters to look for Energon, which is really cool. Yeah, they, they have. And uh, they find the Energon cubes behind a door. And Shockwave is sitting on loads and loads of Energon cubes, it would seem. I- not literally. He's, he's not there. Not literally, yeah. no. <laughs> Metaphorically, he is sitting on a large pile of Energon cubes. Uh, and so they load up. Firestar transforms into a sort of flatbed truck that reminds me a bit of Cup in the movie. Um, and uh, and Chromia's head shape is quite similar in some respects as well to, to a later character, that, to Cup, that we'll see later. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, they load up Firestar and Moonracer says they need more because they're, you know, desperately short of Energon. Yeah, Shockwave's got loads. 
Yeah. And, uh, but no, no, Alita One has ordered. They just need this many. So that's all they're going to take. But Moonracer isn't having that. And uh, she fails the basic surveillance technique that we mentioned uh, in, I think it was Desertion of the Dinobots. Look out for obvious ankle-high beams of energy that might possibly be sensors for alarms. Yeah, it seems to be the main the main uh, burglar alarm system on Cybertron does seem to be these low-level beams that go across the floor. And yeah, so she gets she gets trapped. And then loads of zaps come down immediately. Yeah, and this is quite a funky little um, security system because lots of energy beams come zapping out from all directions and it looks terrible. And then they clear and there's some kind of transparent box around her. Yeah, the glass cube of death. Uh, she's a bit desperate, Moonracer, to be trapped in this uh, in this cube. She's uh, yelling for Chromia to get her out of there. So it's all a bit of a panic. Yeah, it is a it is a bit of a panic. And I noticed this. I thought this isn't very Autobot like. Don't they normally go go run save yourself? But no, Moonracer wants to be saved. Uh, but uh, Chromia tells Firestar to carry on with the Energon, take the Energon away, and she tries to free uh, Moonracer. Shockwave, of course, has noticed that his alarm system has gone off. Yeah, he comes. He comes back, and he's he's just putting quickly putting out his cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> he's just been off for a few minutes, and uh, then he's yeah, oh, female Autobots. I thought they were extinct. <laughs> and... I thought they were a stink. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, because we're surprised as well, because we've never seen any evidence of these female Autobots before, and. This is another one of those episodes where they seem to forget that four million years are supposed to have passed on Cybertron since the Ark left. Because what have they been doing for four million years that they've only just decided to come and steal Shockwave's Energon cubes? <laughs> well, uh, as we saw the first time Megatron got in touch with Shockwave, I, I think they were all just standing stock still for four million years. It's it, it, it's a real shame that they went for that. I, I I mean, it's really cool they went for that huge number, but then the continuity with Cybertron is any kind of continuity with Cybertron is insane. Something must have happened in those four million years. Civilizations rise and fall. Thousands, evolutionary species rise and fall in that time. It's insane that you know. I just like oh, it's just like they went out to the shops for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So Shockwave comes in to try and. Uh capture the Autobots but they're not having any of that and they use his Energon cubes to stun him by throwing them at him basically <laughs> and running yeah. away I, and we get the line such noble nonsense from Shockwave which will come back in a similar it's, form yes. later on slightly better and slightly more dramatic <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, but uh, the Autobots escape and they all transform into cars and they Very drive cool. off, but Shockwave has uh, surveillance because he has sent a Sentinel after them. And yes, this Sentinel looks just as boxy and rubbish as the one he used in uh, Desertion of the Dinobots. And yeah. turns out to be just as fragile because they quickly manage to blow it up when they realise it's following them. <laughs> yeah, I think it gets even less screen time than it does in Desertion of the Dinobots. I think the Sentinel looks cool and menacing, particularly when it was coming down that corridor at them. Uh, but this one flying through the air, it, it, it ain't that. It ain't up to much. It's not great. It's not up to anything. Um, but although the Sentinel is destroyed 
it has given Shockwave the approximate location of the female Autobot's base, which clearly isn't that far away. So you'd think he would have noticed that there was some kind of control room base thing going on not that far from his doorstep, but there we go. So Shockwave contacts Megatron and tells him, by the way, I found those female Autobots. And Megatron is also surprised because he didn't realise they were still around, but... uh, Never mind. We can capture Elita One, and I'll send you a team to assist. Yeah. Well, actually, Megatron seems very excited about the fact that there are three female Autobots, and he's very keen on capturing them mm. for purposes of his own, I'm sure. Yeah. But what a team he sends to Shockwave. Who does he send up to help Shockwave? Well, so we get Starscream. <laughs> Go yourself, Megatron. Do not send Starscream. <laughs> Astro Astro Train, who might actually be more good on Cybertron than he is on Earth, and he gets Rumble, very effective Rumble, and Ramjet. Are Skywarp and Thundercracker even still alive at this point? They're around somewhere, I'm sure, but <laughs> just doing whatever. I also liked um, I liked Shockwave's little periscope that he uses to find the Autobot base. To sort of like gets up and his little little. Uh, Periscope things. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. A little view screen where you can find it. Yeah, he's. Oh, it's 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 bizarre. <laughs> I think that that sums up this entire episode basically. So Elita One gets on the phone to Alpha Trion, and we see Alpha Trion, and she's got an absolutely fantastic telephone. So this is like a huge snow globe, a huge yellow snow globe, and you see the head of the person you're talking to into it. It's much better than the view screens they've got, the Decepticons have got, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a step up from the view screen. Um, and this is Alpha Trion, apparently. And he is a very bizarre looking um, Autobot who appears to have a great big moustache and beard. Yeah, a very neatly trimmed long beard. Very sort of like yeah. um, Eastern style beard. But yeah, but he's he's a cool dude. He's, yeah, and he advises her that they should go and find a new headquarters because, you know, if Shockwave's found your existing ones, then you probably should just move to another one. Yeah. Master strategist, clearly. Uh, But he does caution her. Yes. That she must not use her special power under any circumstances. (laughs) Do not use Chekhov's special power under any circumstances. Yeah. So, obviously, we will never find out what this special power is um, because she's been told not to use it, and so she won't use it. There we go. You you won't use it. I don't know why I mentioned it, but just don't use it, okay? Don't don't use it. Don't use it. Um, He also says that she should search on her own because, obviously, that's less conspicuous than an entire troop of Autobots. That being said, she is herself bright pink and therefore (laughs) fairly conspicuous on the landscape of Cybertron. Yeah. Um, We should mention about the colours of these... uh, female Autobot Transformers, because they're all... I think they're really good designs. They're all sort of pastel colours, whereas the... um, And now we know they are male Transformers, all sort of solid reds or yellows Mm. or greens or whatever. But they're just sort of like nice turquoises and pinks and and that sort of thing. And they're very unified colour schemes each as well. The Lita one is shades of pink. Chromia is shades of blue. Um, Firestar is sort of shades of orange and yellow, and um, Moonracer is sort of turquoisey, greeny colour, isn't she? 
Yeah. yeah. And, and then, uh, but, but, you know, contrast that with some of the other Autobots, which are, you know, Optimus Prime, who's red and blue, and, you know, they've got all the different colours and things on them and what have you. So, yeah, this is... Uh, and, and as we've mentioned before in, in the GoBots one, these are female Autobots, and you can tell they're female Autobots visually um, because they all have uh, very feminine shape. They've all got very feminine legs yeah. for some bizarre reason. Uh, and they all have lipstick. Yes. <laughs> the, the lipstick is, a, is a, an odd giveaway. Yes. But apart from that, but I, don't, I didn't think they were over-sexualized. Over they were no, feminine in appearance, but they weren't. They, they had, it's not as bad as Nightbird. No, it's not as bad as Nightbird. Uh, although there is one bit later on where one of them transforms and then adopts a strange pose with a hand on a hip and kind of chest out, bum out, hand on hip kind of thing for no readily apparent reason. But aside from that, no, you're, you're right. They're not overly uh, sexualized. They're just very definitely visually coded female. But uh, as Alita 1 goes to look for the new HQ, the other Decepticons are approaching and she tries to lure them away by attacking them, but instead it doesn't really go that well for her, does it? No. Uh, well, first off, they she goes along and Starscream's just completely giving away the fact that they've been told to capture Elita One at all costs. Do remember that. It's very important. And Elita yes. One attacks. And actually, I thought she did, like, until the end, she did extraordinarily well with her small handgun. She blasts everyone. Ramjet fires a missile at her, which she catches and throws back at him, <laughs> which is pretty damn incredible. But Starscream's Null Ray, ooh. Yeah, the Null Ray, one of the most effective weapons that we've ever seen. Um, it, it does indeed null her, <laughs> and she collapses and she's, is captured. She's feeling thoroughly nulled at this point, absolutely null. She is. But there's one weapon the Decepticons have which is even more effective than Starscream's Null Ray, and we haven't seen it in action for a while, have we? No, no, it's back. Starscream orders Rumble to for, uh, orders Rumble to shake the hens out of their nest, which means that you, you know what's going to happen. But Rumble is like he's really reluctant to use them. Yeah, but you know, he does, and he just keeps going and. In common with every attempt that he makes with his pile driver arms, it seems to have an effect that radiates out several feet in front of him, but has no effect on anyone standing anywhere near him. Um, ah, yes. Some strange seismic powers <laughs> that he has. But he keeps on going, and he keeps on going, and the base is falling apart, and it crashes to crashes <laughs> around the female Autobots, and a you know, big pile of wreckage and everything. So, well, that's it. Clearly, the base has been destroyed. They've all been crushed under the rubble. Everybody's dead. We've got Elita One. That's it. Let's go. Yeah. Well, because you were saying that they weren't that effective a group of Decepticons, but actually, they've done very well at this point, and they've got the right weapons in the right place, and it's it's practically all over. It is. And in fact, I'll have to... Uh, yeah. I mean, I looked at the team when they arrived and thought, oh, dear, what on earth are you doing sending this lot out? <laughs> but actually, they do even better later. Yeah. So you know, it's they're 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 pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's good good from the Decepticons. But, but this don't worry, the female Autobots have survived uh, inside yeah. the base. It's all okay. Uh, Firestar and Moonracer and two others who don't get named at this point um, are in there. 
Yeah, they're still they're still okay. So it's okay. You can you can calm down, everyone. Yeah, but we also suddenly go back to Earth now, don't we? We do, and uh, Megatron gets on the blower to Optimus Prime. Yeah, because well done, Megatron. That's easily done. We'll just I'll just call up Optimus Prime, um, and uh, tells him that he's captured Elita One, and Optimus Prime is quite dramatically affected by this news isn't he yeah it's more than Udix. well I, I don't know i mean he's always upset when an autobot is captured or in trouble as we saw the other week when chomley captured a whole bunch of his chums but yeah no he's he's surprised female autobots still exist everybody's very excited and he actually shows her elita one in trouble mm. although at this point i'm a bit worried that the autobot and decepticon leaders are basically seem to spend their time sitting by the phone waiting for someone to call them Yes, because Megatron was there when Shockwave called immediately, and Optimus Prime was there when Megatron called immediately. So what, what are they actually doing? <laughs> I was waiting for a call from someone I like, but, you know, yeah. I'll put up with you, you know, if you want to call me. Couldn't we have at least had Optimus Prime sitting on his bunk reading a book or something, and then Bumblebee comes rushing in going, Prime, Megatron's on the phone for you. <laughs> He's outside doing more... Bo- I'm obsessed with him doing basketball now. Yeah. <laughs> Take a message. Tell him I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, Optimus Prime is uh, determined to rescue Alita One. And he rushes out on his own, doesn't even ask anyone else to help him. Uh, demands that Teletran identify the location of the Decepticon space bridge. Rushes out and transforms and declares that he's going to rescue Alita One if it's the last thing he does. Yeah. I doesn't. I a couple of weeks ago we saw him send a team when he wasn't that bothered, but he's really bothered about Elita One, and he's straight off to the space bridge on his own. And the space bridge, I think he says that the space bridge is guarded, that there's other people, Decepticons around the space bridge, but he just goes straight through into the space bridge off to Cybertron, no hassle. Well, he says it's it's weird because the, the other Autobots see him go, yeah, and decide that they're going to find out what he's doing because it's not like him to go rushing off on his own without telling anyone. And when Prime gets to the space bridge, there's very clearly nobody around it. And I think Prime actually says, oh, no Decepticons. And he just drives into the space bridge and Mm. off he goes up to Cybertron. And again, I love the fact they remembered that the space bridge isn't just a straightforward teleportation device. It has all this chaos and swirling clouds and bursts of energy and everything as well. That's really great, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they're doing well on the continuity with the Space Bridge. They seem to remember the effect of the Space Bridge every time. Um, but when the Autobots arrive later on, skipping ahead slightly, uh, I think it's Ironhide who says, if Optimus can get past those guards, so can we. And there are still very clearly no Decepticons anywhere near the Space Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah. But well, before Optimus Prime gets to the space bridge, we get a bit of a flashback to explain why he's so uh, so intent on this, don't we? Yeah, so it's flashback to Optimus Prime taking off in a big orange ship that may or may not be the Ark. It may be the Ark because obviously it's the Ark, and obviously this is them leaving Cybertron, but it may not be because they get attacked by the Decepticons on the ground as they're leaving, which definitely doesn't happen in Arrival from Cybertron. I don't think. No, it doesn't. And uh, certainly there's no uh, female Autobots chasing after them uh, when they go. Yeah, not that we saw. Not that we saw. But it turns out that Elita One wants to go with him, but he says it's too dangerous. 
And obviously yeah. staying on Cybertron is somehow less dangerous. <laughs> uh, but at that point, uh, a huge explosion happens and Prime believes that Alita 1 has been blown up. So we get him on his, you know, with his head in his hands going, she's gone. She's gone. There, there's a little bit where he says, I, I think he says, I will return for you as soon as we need. But I'm not quite sure what, it, what I can't work out what that means or if I've, <sighs> I've got that right. It's a very odd little line. It is odd. It is odd. I don't really know when he was planning to come back for her or what they were going to do or anything like that. I, who knows? No, it's all um, up in the air. But uh, Prime has headed off to Cybertron and he's been followed by Powerglide, Ironhide and Inferno. So it's a uh, it's a red squad. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> all red shirts this week. All red shirts this week, yes. Somebody just fancied drawing a whole bunch of red Autobots, didn't they? It's it's an odd combination. And I think there's, when they're watching Teletran 1 as well, I think Sideswipe is there and <laughs> Bumblebee just to break it up a bit. But it's definitely, it's all the peppers going up to space. It certainly is. And Optimus Prime arrives at the space bridge and is immediately captured by Starscream. Yes. Now, this might be... Uh, a, a, an important moment in Transformers history because I think Optimus Prime is the first person to go through the space bridge and not immediately run past Shockwave and successfully escape. I <laughs> don't think that's happened to anyone else. I think you're right. Uh, Shockwave is I don't Shockwave is nowhere to be seen at this point. I don't know what Shockwave's doing. Um, <laughs> so clearly, putting Starscream, Astro Train, Ramjet, and Rumble on guard at the space bridge was a more effective strategy. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of hassle in previous episodes. But yeah, so Starscream uh, is about to kill Alita One and Optimus Prime. They've got them all in glass cages, but Shockwave has a better idea. Oh, yes. A much better idea. It's a very evil idea, but we'll come to that. It is a very evil idea, but it is also straight out of the classic villain's playbook of... Shall we just shoot the guys and get it over with? No, no, no. I have a much more convoluted and entertaining plan with many opportunities for escape. Let's try that instead. So they are dangling Optimus Prime over a vat of acid. Yeah, green bubbling acid. And Starscream demonstrates how dangerous it is by sticking a metal rod in it, which goes as stuff does well i don't know i haven't had much experience with acids what kind of acid do you think this is? Uh, <laughs> here we go what kind of acid might this be jason h2so4 uh it's it's well it's no kind of acid it's a okay. it's a special cybertronian acid clearly um because i it may not surprise you to know i have had quite a bit of experience with acids um <laughs> and whilst they do react with metals and they will dissolve metals uh None of the ones that you'll find in a lab on Earth will work that quickly on any given metal. Right, yes. So it would have to be in there for some time. And, oh, that's even more horrible, isn't it? Yeah. Or not any given metal that could be used to make solid metal rods and moving parts like transformers. I mean, there are plenty of soft metals that are extremely reactive, um, but they would be more reacting almost with the water in the acid rather than the acid itself. So, yeah. you know, throw a piece of sodium or potassium in or something, you get quite a reaction. But, um, yeah. but, but yeah. this is... This is space acid. This is space acid, and it's going to dissolve Optimus Prime. And again, it's one of those, if you had this acid all the time, first of all, what's the vat made of? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good question. 
And uh, and secondly, if you had this acid handy, there are so many other occasions when it could have been useful, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there, oh, I think there are some transformers that shoot acid, but we haven't seen them yet. And I think there was the acid rain they had on Cybertron previously. Well, Mixmaster shoots acids. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, totally ineffective, but only ever against rocks and things like that for construction purposes never thinks to fire those acids at his enemies which would have been you know useful but never mind but uh rumble is standing by dramatically with a lightsaber <laughs> yes blatantly a lightsaber big sword blatantly a lightsaber yes <laughs> and uh starscream gloats a bit makes a lot of uh speeches about how great he is and you know tells Alita one not to worry because she'll get her turn after Optimus Prime's been dunked in the acid. She'll go in after him, don't worry. And uh, then he gives Rumble the command and Rumble swings and cuts the rope and Prime is falling and Alita one screams and the Transformers will be right back after these messages. <laughs> yes, there is a definite ad break at this point. So, But, but actually, how cool! Because Optimus Prime is falling into the acid, there is very little we think we've seen in this episode that could possibly save him but the next thing that happens is very unexpected and very weird yes it turns out that elita one's special power is some kind of psychedelic disco light show with time being frozen in it apart from her yeah so, so this the screen absolutely fills up with these light beams that seem to be radiating, radiating around a circular point. And there's loads of globes and balloons flying past as well. But I made it very difficult to see what was going on at first. It was very confusing. It was. It was quite strange. But Prime is suspended in midair. He's mid-fall. Uh, and Elita One just holds him and pulls him away from the acid, lays him down, and apparently touching his face brings him into sync with her time stream. And uh, she explains he she's used her special power that Alpha Trion specifically told her not to. I mean, you know, you were told not to do this, but it turns out that it drains her life force. Yeah, so she's lying on the floor, she's not feeling well, and her life force is drained, and she's we told her told her this would happen. She was yeah. told. But it was worthwhile because it saved Optimus Prime. So actually, fair play. Yeah. And then she explains the title of the episode because she says we have to find Alpha Trion. He can save me. Yeah. The search for Alpha Trion begins at 14 minutes and 23 seconds. The clock's ticking. The clock is ticking. So Prime carries Alita One out uh, and just outside the kind of time freezing thing sort of wears off them. He transforms and uh, this, this is uh, the first proof we have that, the, you know, we had the same with Omega Supreme, but Optimus Prime didn't have his trailer when he stepped out of the space bridge. <laughs> and then he transforms and there it is. <laughs> yes, that's quite a stretch to have it come all the way from Earth, isn't it? Yeah. But there it is. And uh, the the combat deck claw arm thing comes out, grabs Elita one somewhat unceremoniously and drags her into the trailer. And he drives off. Yeah, he's in a bit of a rush. It's fine. He's in a bit of a rush. Back at Shockwave's headquarters, there appears to be a line of dialogue missing. Oh, OK. How did this go? Not, not only are Optimus Prime and Elita one absent, but yeah, there's definitely uh, a line missing because Starscream just says, but Optimus Prime has perished. Oh, okay. Yes. 
I presume that somewhere there should have been a line that said, oh, Elita One has vanished because she has disappeared. As far as they're concerned, she just disappeared. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But there appears to be something in the acid and Starscream thinks that that must be the remains of Optimus Prime. Not sure what it is. That's a good point, yeah. Nothing else fell in it, but okay. Yeah, oh, but it might be the, uh, because there was the manacles and the chain, but that wouldn't look much like Optimus Prime, would it? Not a lot, no. No. Okay, but anyway, so, yes, yeah, so they're, they're, they're all standing around gloating, saying, we've got rid of Optimus Prime, and, and Megatron could never do that. We're so cool. And then three Autobots arrive. They do. They arrive, they attack, and Starscream says, look, we've killed your leader. And Ironhide says, no, 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 that can't be. And they just start having a firefight. Yeah. Ironhide really... I, I, okay, so is it, there's... The normal Ironhide voice, but he does give it that nice bit extra when he sees Prime's being killed and says, oh, I'm about to attack, and really goes for it. I was really, really into that. That was cool. Yeah. And they do actually attempt to shoot each other, unlike many previous episodes where they just run in and start thumping each other. But there we go. (laughs) Uh, In the female Autobots underground headquarters, they're blocked in by the damage that Rumble did. But Moonracer has a plan because she put the Energon cubes safely out of the way so that they were not damaged by the chaos that has uh, ensued. And they can use them to blow up the door or blow a way out. Yeah, it's it's such a waste. I mean, you think of all the effort Megatron went through, all the pain, all the personal humiliation Megatron went through to get those Energon cubes, and they're just going to use them to blow up a door. Well, there you go. That shows where your efforts lead, doesn't it? Yeah. But here's a weird thing. How do they detonate the energon cubes? Uh, uh, I'd, I'd set a timer and be well away. What, what do they actually do? They shoot them. <laughs> With their guns. Yes. Which presumably could also shoot their way through the door. <laughs> <laughs> as we've we seen have... them doing earlier in the episode. Yeah, as indeed Ironhide just did at Shockwave's headquarters. Once again, he blew another hole in Shockwave's... <laughs> Ironhide must have something against the wall of Shockwave's headquarters because he keeps blowing holes in it every time he comes through the space bridge. <laughs> Whether it's with lasers or liquid yeah. nitrogen or whatever. And now he's shot them again, shot it again. <laughs> There's more holes in the space bridge terminal than there are in Swiss cheese, obviously, yeah. at this point. But uh, yes, detonating the Energon Cube does work. Uh, and they all rush out, and they soon meet up with their male counterparts in the uh, in the fighting. So it turns out that uh, Firestar has a bit of a thing with Inferno. Yep, they're a team. Kind of makes sense. Yep. Power Glide and Moon Racer are also a team, and so it would appear at Ironhide and Chromia. Yeah, I think Power Glide and Moon Racer, I watched this very carefully. I think they just know each other. I don't think there's anything in particular there, unless you you, you saw something different. They seem to be quite... Because Power Glide just basically says, he's still the best sharp shooter in the galaxy. She turns around and says, in the universe, and blasts a big turret which falls on Ramjet and Astro Train. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do go well together because Power Glide has quite a high opinion of himself and clearly Moon Racer has a high opinion of herself. Yeah. Uh, and later on, they are referred to as, you know, their boyfriends and things like that by Starscream. Yeah. So I always like I always like it when people refer to themselves as the best something in the universe because it makes me think of Starlight, the most magnificent <laughs> horse in the universe. <laughs> yeah, well, as we've said, I think Starlight has a good claim to that title. 
<laughs> have you ever met another horse that can run on rainbows? I haven't met a horse with multicolored hair. Well, there you go then. So, <laughs> but that's another cartoon. Yes. So now again, the Decepticons and the Autobots are having a bit of a fight. So what are Optimus Prime and uh, Alita One doing? Well, Optimus finds Alpha Trion's base. Yes. Yes, that's it. The search for Alpha Trion ends at 17 minutes and 32 seconds. The total runtime search for Alpha Trion is about 3 minutes and 10 seconds. Yes. It wasn't much of a search, was it? Optimus Prime just went, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, I, if you'd called the episode making a beeline for Alpha Trion's base, I don't think it would have been as popular, but it's still good. It's still good. They find Alpha Trion, and it's exciting to, to get into the inner sanctum of this strange-looking Autobot. Well, Elita 1 can be repaired. Alpha Trion will do all he can, but it doesn't look good. No. Optimus Prime is doing the uh, the nervous uh, the nervous um, bystander as the patient is checked. Yeah. And then this it's a bit bizarre because immediately Alpha Trion says, I've done all I can. It's like, you literally just looked at her. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> done anything. <laughs> it's a, yeah, there's clearly supposed to be some kind of montage or elision at this point, or some some kind of cut. But it does look like Optimus Prime turns his back, walks up to a wall, puts his arm up, and goes ah, oh, and turns around. Alpha Trine and says, "Well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I can do. That's all I can do." But he does tell Prime to. Um... Uh, I've forgotten the exact wording. I should have written it down. <laughs> Piss off! No. <laughs> But basically, he tells Prime to uh, disconnect one of his power transfer cables and connect it up to Elita 1 to interface for a power transfusion, as he is the only Autobot compatible with her energy systems. And Prime but, is confused and said, only my creator could know that. Yeah, and he looks to the camera like, good morning. <laughs> and Tryon just says, an educated guess, Prime, <laughs> quite casually. And yeah. it's uh, okay. Yeah, they're setting something up here, which is which they like I, a mystery that's not resolved in this episode, which I don't think they've ever done before outside of the two or three parters. That's very interesting. It is. It's rather odd. Um, but anyway, evidently this worked because shortly afterwards, the Autobots and the Decepticons are still having a firefight. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's, and it's 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 going quite well because the Autobots have got the Decepticons backed up against a big wall, and they're all yes. shooting at them, aren't they? Yeah. So they're, yeah. They're, the Autobots have got the Decepticons cornered. Yeah. And Ironhide even declares that they've won, and Shockwave goes, "Not unless you can fly." Transforms into his gun mode, which apparently can hover. Yep. And blasts the Autobots off the edge of the high walkway because this is. Cybertron and in common with many sci-fi settings uh, they'd like high walkways with no safety railings indeed yes but but it's great to see shockwave using his ultra super space cannon mode and for it to actually be extraordinarily effective it's not like when megatron transforms and he's a little tiny handheld gun shockwave transforms into a full-size gun with a handle and a trigger that only a giant could use. I was going to say, not even other Transformers could use Shockwave in gun mode. He's basically <laughs> just, that's it. Um, oh, oh, but, 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 hold your horses because, yeah, we'll come back to that. Put, put a little thumbnail in that. Yeah. Who can actually fire <laughs> Shockwave? One day we might find out. Anyway. Well, expect, 
one of the combiners probably could. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't give the game away. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's uh, he 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 it is. He knocks them all over the edge, and they all manage to hang on. And for some bizarre reason, he does not fire again. <laughs> oh, shockwave! You're doing so well. Not even when Optimus Prime and Elita One show up to help. Yeah, we briefly glimpse Elita One's car mode running alongside Prime, and oh, oh, it'd be so nice to have a better view of it. But it's just a little hint of what she looks like in car mode. It's not not really enough. But yeah, so they both arrive, and naturally, Starscream is a little bit surprised by this. Yes, he thought Optimus Prime was dead, and this triggers an immediate Decepticon retreat at 19 minutes and 40 seconds. Actually, I think what triggered the retreat was the fact that it was 19 minutes and 40 seconds, rather than Optimus Melita arriving this time. And, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a brilliant retreat, because Shockwave once again just hovered there while uh, one of the Autobots shot him. (laughs) So yeah, I mean there there have been more convincing retreats. <laughs> yes, but never mind. The Autobots have prevailed. Yeah, yeah. Alita One's a toughie. She saw off the bad guys, and then we get a nice couple of little scenes where they all compliment each other on a job well done. Basically, they do. Yeah, um, Firestar and Inferno admit they make a pretty good team, and they miss working together on Cybertron. Oh. Chromia hates to admit it, but it was good to see Ironhide again. So there's obviously something going on there. Um, Alpha Trion has pretty rapidly set the female Autobots up with a new base, with all state-of-the-art stuff, uh, brand new technology and everything. And Powerglide says they should see the headquarters on Earth. It's full of this stuff. But the headquarters on Earth is the four-million-year-old spaceship. How can it be full of... Brand new technology. Hey, <laughs> yes, and Alpha Trion was obviously just sitting on that amazing technology that he was going to give to. He was going to give it to them soon. You know, it's, I, I just got to get around to it. You know, I, yeah. I, I did after you announced uh, sort of like Inferno and Firestar were having a kiss and uh, uh, Chromia and Ironhide were getting on well together, and then you started talking about Alpha Trion. I thought he said Alpha Trion was. Uh, no, he wasn't getting on with anyone, was he? He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. No, no. Yeah, so, but uh, no, they can't stay. They have to go back to Earth, and the female Autobots have to stay on Cybertron, and that's it. They go their separate ways, and uh, the episode comes to an end. Yes, but come back soon. Don't be a stranger. Bye-bye, Optimus Prime, yeah. Yeah, what an odd episode that was. Oh, oh, I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. Why, 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 what were the particular oddities that, uh, that put you off slightly? Well, first of all, it's another one of these ones that takes the action away from the Autobot Decepticon thing on Earth, and it's, just, it's all on Cybertron. Yep. Secondly, it introduces a whole bunch of Autobots that we've seen no evidence of up until this point, despite apparently four million years passing on Cybertron, and having made several trips to Cybertron already. It's called the search for Alpha Trion. That search takes about three minutes and appears not to be terribly complicated. There's a throwaway line that says Alpha Trion is Optimus Prime's creator. Alpha Trion is a strange character who, again, what's he been doing for four million years while Shockwave has been apparently ruling Cybertron? It, it's kind of 
I mean, this is basically a pivotal episode in the lore of the Transformers, isn't it? It introduces the female Autobots. It introduces Alpha Trion and perhaps apparently the creator of Optimus Prime. It kind of changes the direction of where the series is going and where a lot of the emphasis will happen in, in later versions, in later episodes. And yet it seems somehow thrown together almost because <laughs> the bits just are chucked in. It's like, there we go. New Autobots, Alpha Trion, Creative Optimus Prime. Yep, 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 yep. All there, all good. Right, there we go. Terrific. And it's like, well, hang on, what? You, oh, you've Somebody's yeah. decided, you know, well, we're running out of stories we can tell on Earth, I think. So we'll just do something <laughs> totally different. Yeah. I, I Okay, so by inventing female Transformers, they actually make all the Transformers we've seen on Earth male because they are not necessarily uh, gendered until female Transformers arrive. So that's kind of I, interesting. Does it matter? Doesn't really matter. I, I, I yeah. So I do think that these these ones we meet, Moonracer, Firestar, and Alita One, and Chromia, are. I thought they were fantastic. I thought they were very well characterized. Maybe not fantastically characterized, but whatever. They were very well characterized. They were a lot of fun. And I would have happily have had two years of these guys doing whatever they've been doing on Cybertron because they, they they were great. They were really, they weren't, uh, they weren't, they didn't have any negative female characteristics that you sometimes see that, that make them pretty or silly or anything like that. They're just as good a fighters as the Autobots, if not better. And I do wonder if this is, Beth Bornstein uh, coming in and saying, well, actually, I'm going to do female Autobots and I'm going to make them really cool because that's the impression I got. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it, it almost succeeds in that, but I think it's a shame that they all are apparently needing help and guidance from a male Autobot in the form of Alpha Trion and needing their, you know, and it is, yes, let's, let's have uh, female Autobots. And yes, they're good well-characterized female Autobots, but the basic plot is one of them gets captured and needs her boyfriend to come and rescue her. Ooh, okay. And, okay, it's then flipped on its head because he fails miserably and she has to <laughs> save him with her own special power, but even so, yeah, it, I think it doesn't quite go. The other thing about those female Autobots is they all look very similar. Right, There's yeah. not a lot to distinguish them apart from their colours. When you contrast that with the wide variety of um, other Transformers that we've seen, uh, they seem pretty generic female robots with a few tweaks here and there to make them unique, like slightly different shaped heads and different mm. colours. And that's it. And I think probably that's to do with the fact that all the others are based on existing toys and these guys are just created for the cartoon. So, yeah. I, it's it's a much better design than practically everyone else we've seen on Cybertron. They've invented from scratch, though. I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's good good work on it. I'm not not knocking it, but I think yeah. it's a shame that they're all very similar. Yeah, and they're sort of they're just sort of generic female robots. Um. So yeah, it, it is a bit odd. Hmm. Um. But yeah, it's. Uh, it just it just seems rather strange to me to suddenly go and do this and, uh, and change basically the entire lore of the show and introduce the concept that they have, you know, they are referred to as boyfriends and girlfriends in a couple of times and they do clearly have some kind of romantic connection, which raises all kinds of questions that I really don't want to think too hard about. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's stick with the kids' cartoon. So do you have a, a, a person of the match? 
Oh, a litre one for that incredible time-freezing power. Although perhaps Alpha Trion should work on a way of making it work rather more rather less lethally for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I, I, same thing for me. I think she she saves the day. She kicks all the ass. She's brilliant. Uh, we love Alita One. She's, uh, she, she's a real champion. So, yeah. So, that's great. Yeah, definitely. So, that's one episode down. Shall we go for another one, which I'm sure won't worry about, you know, relationships between uh, between the characters? Or, no. oh, wait a minute, the girl who loved Powerglide. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our next episode is one I've been quite looking forward to, actually. Um, the Girl Who Loved Powerglide. Now, why am I looking forward to that? Um, well, primarily it's because this is one of the ones that I had on VHS as a kid. And I watched it over and over and over again. So I know the episode pretty well. And it was good to revisit it again. Um, yeah. Which which VHS was this on? Is it was it wasn't on its own, wasn't it? Because I can't imagine them selling the girl who loved Power, Power Glide as a single episode. No, it was in a uh, it was on a VHS with Call of the Primitives. Oh, okay. Ah, which is way way into the future in series three. So <laughs> we'll come to that later. Yeah. But that's also a favourite of mine, even it's... though it also has some of the worst bits in it. But never mind. <laughs> it's an interesting one because I I remember. There, there, there are a couple of specific things I remember in this one uh, from seeing it as a kid, but I definitely didn't have the VHS. I think I watched it once as a kid, so I'm not quite sure. I, my, my cousin might have had it, or I might have seen it around someone else's house, but this is this is one I also remember. I remember two things. I remember the, a bit of the start and a bit of the end. You probably remember <laughs> the whole lot. <laughs> I remember the whole episode very, very clearly. As I said, I watched it over and over and over and over again. Um, and you know, that aside, I think it's one of the better plotted episodes. It's got quite a uh, a strong plot. It's got some uh, some good character pieces in it, and it looks good as well. It's well animated. I think the animation quality in this one is is pretty uh, pretty top notch. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it. We're we're back in we're back in the city. We're back on Earth, very firmly on Earth again. Yeah, it's good to see. And we go, we go, we pan across the city. It looks like it could be, is it New York? It probably is. I mean, it must be, given that I, we I end up with later. I think it's New York, yeah. Um, uh, except for that huge, weird-looking skyscraper that we've never seen before, uh, on the roof of which appears to be a fairground, lots of balloons and people in silly hats, one of whom declares he feels like an absolute bloody fool. <laughs> Yeah, they're totally grossed out to be here, apparently. So this looks like an uh, an expensive plush office company party on the roof of a building. Now, what's your attitude towards uh, having a work do, having a, a party like this with that's been set up by work? Do you think that's an enjoyable thing or do you think that's something that has to be endured? Oh, I quite like them, um, provided they are just a party. Um, yeah. I, I've been to my share of uh, team building exercises and things like that, which are variable, shall we say. Um, but I have no objections to an office party. No, I've been up and down over the years with them. Sometimes they've been, I found them absolutely intolerable. And sometimes I think more recently, I've just sort of let my hair down and got on with it and had, you know, had, had a nice enough time. 
but it does depend on how well you get on with your employees as well. well employees colleagues yeah it, it does depend on what relationship you have with your colleagues and whether you can uh, whether you can properly enjoy it or whether you're uh, on edge the whole time but uh, this particular party has clearly been arranged uh, at the behest of the owner of the company because it's her birthday Yes, it's her birthday. And she's a young woman wearing a yellow dress. And her name is? Her name is Astoria Carlton Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> what a great name. Yeah. Nick's from a couple of hotels, definitely. Uh, but basically, she's the CEO of the company, it would appear. And she is moaning at all the old farts who aren't enjoying themselves properly. And she hates it there. And it's like a prison. Uh, and she starts to cry, and it's her party, and she'll cry if she wants to. Yeah, that's the bit I remember because I remember that song because my sister liked that song, and I and I remember saying, "That's that from that song. I recognise that. How can they say that on Transformers? It was it, <laughs> it was something that lodged in my head. Yeah, great. Yeah. So that's two weird things they've already said in the first opening minute of this episode. The, di- not, the dialogue not- is quite bizarre throughout. I think. It's not usual for them to use an expletive, but uh, I think bloody is less of a, a, a problem in America than it is in the UK, perhaps. Um, certainly, Miles Edward O'Brien quite often <laughs> says it on Deep Space Nine, but uh, <laughs> but yes. Hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it. I wonder if it was bleeps out in the in the VHS. We'll ne- we might never no, know. Wasn't. No, it wasn't. Oh, it no, was there. It you remember? It was there. <laughs> I remember. Of course I remember. I was a child and my cartoon had a swear word in it, so I was happy. <laughs> it makes you feel grown up it does absolutely Uh, but uh, they don't have too much time to worry about the state of the party because they are suddenly attacked by the coneheads yeah yeah (laughs) three new jets so uh, i've got a poem that uh lucy mccall has composed to help me remember which one is fabulous yes so would you like to read it I, i have it here yeah so here we go thank you lucy ramjet is white his wings are red with little flaps near the bottom of his legs. Dirge is blue. His wings are yellow. He has two sets, the lucky fellow. (laughs) Thrust is red, unlike his friends, and small grey flaps, his wings extend. (laughs) Nice one, Lucy. Thank you. (laughs) I bet you still won't remember them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to do my own one at some point, because it's getting really... Well, they won't be in it for long, because we're near the end of season two. I I and then they're not in it anymore, so we'll be all right. Yeah. But uh, this is a good episode for those three, actually. I was uh, I was quite pleased with that again because I had Dirge, so I, he was uh, one of my toys. Always excited to see them come along. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the, these three uh, put in quite a reasonably good showing in this particular episode, uh, and uh, they are at this point apparently concerned with shooting balloons. <laughs> Yes. Why are they attacking this party? Well, there's one person who doesn't know why they're attacking this party. He's got his own theories, and that is Power Glide. Yep. Power Glide happens to be flying by at the time, and he sees the three Decepticon jets attacking hybrid technologies, as we find out this building is the headquarters of. And he has his theories. They must be after some secret plans, or maybe some new fuel they've invented. Or maybe they're going to kidnap all the company's top scientists. Or, huh? They're after a girl. It's hero time. (laughs) It's hero time. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. So he's straight in and he lowers down a rope for Astoria to grab hold of. Yeah, not the most um, well thought out, effective uh, strategy for rescuing somebody just dangle a rope for them to grab when you're flying by at a couple hundred miles an hour oh it is it is in a cartoon in a cartoon that is exactly what you want to do you don't have to worry about rope burns don't have to worry about falling off or being able to hold your own body weight it's just gonna work yeah being able to hold your own body weight while being carried around by a jet between <laughs> the skyscrapers of new york city uh, she appears to be able to do this with no trouble whatsoever. Um, but uh, he reels her in and she is quite surprised to find that there is nobody in the cockpit. Yeah, what a shock. And the plane, she thinks the plane's out of control, so she starts pressing buttons at random. <laughs> yes, because obviously that's the way to do it. She has Evidently she knows how to fly a plane. But this is quite interesting, I think. Um because we've said before that, you know, it's weird that all the Transformers and the GoBots as well, in fact, have controls inside them. So all the car Transformers have steering wheels. All the planes have their controls and everything else. And it's like, do they need it? I mean, they're autonomous. Why do they have these controls? And yet they clearly work because Astoria's ministrations on the controls cause Powerglide to spin around and fly more or less out of control, much to the amusement of the three Decepticon jets who are following them. Yeah, they're they're actually impressed. They say such superb aerial agility as Powerglide spins around and Astoria's on board without a safety belt and she would actually probably at this point be turned to jelly. But she's fine. It's a cartoon. Well, she does end up pinned to the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Which is handy because that allows Powerglide to assume control again. <laughs> and uh, he decides they've got to lose the Decepticons who are causing chaos. Again, the insurance premiums in the city must be through the roof because the Decepticons <laughs> blast huge holes in a few of the buildings. Uh, but Powerglide loses them by uh, landing on the road and zipping under a flyover and stopping. That'll do. That's good. And enough, somehow this confuses the Decepticon jets entirely and they fly off because they've lost him. Now, I'm not too sure that the flyover would be big enough to conceal a plane the size that power glide is supposed to be <laughs> yes it's also very lucky that there is not a single car on the road in new york city <laughs> there's a reason for that and we'll come to it in a minute but yeah 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 i, I think i've got a theory why there are no cars in new york city <laughs> not a single car but never mind yeah Astoria gets out, Powerglide transforms and introduces himself. Yes, so Powerglide introduces himself. I, I, slightly inexplicably, Astoria seems to know nothing about Transformers. She missed she missed Megatron's takeover of all the radio systems. She's missed the endless battles that have happened in New York City. So, But she, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. It's all new to her. She doesn't know. And she doesn't seem to care either because she just yeah. wants to go flying again. You know, never mind that I've just been attacked by giant robots who turn into aeroplanes and rescued by another one. I want to go flying again. Yeah. Um, and she, Power Glide is less than impressed. Yeah. But she does let slip that she's the head of hybrid technologies or high tech, as it's called. And I thought actually um, the actor playing Astoria in this scene was really good. It's, yeah, I think she was very good. Um, she does a lot of speak because she gets the line that um, basically my father died okay, but she just delivers it in a way, she puts in a little pause and it just 
brings the line to life in a way that lots of actors probably wouldn't bother with. Yeah, no, it is good. Uh, yeah, and she delivers that line because Powerglide expresses surprise that she is in charge of hybrid technologies. So, so Powerglide decides they have to get her back to headquarters and find out what the Decepticons wanted with her because she doesn't really know why they would want her. Yeah. So they go back to Sparkplug's workshop. Yes, poor harassed Sparkplug, who's still obviously repairing all those cars that were turned into Deceptibots back a few episodes ago. Yeah, and uh, we, we also see Spike we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, yeah. So it's the Teletran 1 branch in New York. So they talk to Optimus Prime on Teletran 1. Prime says, I've got absolutely no idea why on earth Decepticons do anything they do. Don't even ask me. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they they had this Kremzeek thing. What was that about? I don't know. So, yeah. So Prime is, Prime is puzzled. And Who Spike knows? Is, Spike is fixing cars. Yeah, but they also reveal the slightly odd thing that Astoria is in charge of the company, but she's not allowed in their labs. <laughs> but why? But why? Well, as she is talking to Spike, who is a bit flirty, and where's Carly during all of this? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> off with um, Bumblebee, obviously. Off with Bumblebee, because no sign of Bumblebee in this episode either, is there? So, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. But uh, she just wants to know about Powerglide. She seems very taken with Powerglide. Yeah, Spike is put out that once again, a woman he is trying to chat up is more interested in the Transformers than than in him. And he gets really shirty and upset about it. He does. But, you know, if you you want to be more interesting, don't hang out with giant transforming robots because they are inherently (laughs) more interesting than anything you could do. (laughs) but uh, yeah, his uh, his drill then breaks, uh, much to his irritation, and then something else goes wrong. <clears throat> Astoria knocks over an engine block that's on a um, on a winch and generally causes chaos. And uh, Powerglide just sort of steps in and says, "Well, no wonder they don't let you in the labs." Yeah, apparently uh, Astoria says, "Me and machines don't get along too well," although. Everything that happens in this scene is clearly down to what Spike is doing. So, but, but you know, apparently yeah. she's got a jinx. Yeah, and Powerglide can personally attest to that. <laughs> but uh, Optimus Prime has decided that Megatron must want something from Astoria, so he orders Powerglide to escort her back to Autobot headquarters. They're going to the volcano. But Astoria is hungry. <laughs> yes, a recurring theme of the episode. Very important plot point. Yes. Back in the Decepticon base, Megatron is very unhappy about the uh, Conehead's failure. And this was a line that stuck in my head from watching it. You are supposed to be the most powerful jets in the galaxy. And you were beaten by a pipsqueak Autobot plane. (laughs) Which is entirely right. Because Powerglide was one of the mini-bots. So yes. he's a little 299 Transformer. And then the you've got the Decepticon jets, and they're 999 each, or possibly 1099 at this point. So you've got 30 quid worth Transformer against 3 quid worth Transformer. It's not, it's not a fair battle at all. Not a fair battle. There's three of them and one of him, and he still came out on top. Yeah. Also, this is the second episode in the row where Megatron is complaining because his troops have failed to capture some women. <laughs> 
<laughs> Megatron's disappointment is immense at this point. Yeah. So he sends them out again to capture her. Um, and uh, Powerglide and Astoria are at an amusement park. <laughs> a very well-built amusement park, since Astoria wants to go on the merry-go-round, and Powerglide is also on the merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, this plane that Powerglide transforms into is gigantic, isn't it? It's a- It's a big, chunky aircraft, yes. It's... Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very uh, very nice piece of uh, technology. It's designed to operate with large parts of itself missing because it's a combat aircraft. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it's yeah, it's quite chunky. So Power Glide, you would think, would be quite a chunky Autobot, but apparently yeah. he can sit on a merry-go-round that's designed for humans quite happily. Yeah, so little little tiny bot, yeah. But yeah. they, they've got to go to the volcano. But they, she just wants to have fun on the merry-go-round and have some hot dogs, and that's that's all really. Yeah. But they, they've waited too long because the Coneheads arrive. Yeah. Oh, should say at this point, Powerglide touches her necklace that she's wearing. So she's got this necklace she wears all the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Powerglide um, tried, to, tried to get her to come with him, and she, she went absolutely bananas at him when, she, when he touched her necklace. Mm. And apparently her father gave it to her before she died and made her promise never to take it off. Honestly, the things dads do, I don't know. So we can be certain, much like Alita One's special power in the last episode, we can be certain that this necklace will never come off at any point in this episode because she said, I promise never to take it off. Yep. It's uh, Chekhov's dad's necklace. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Again, though, three Decepticon jets against Powerglide don't put in a very good showing because Astoria runs away and hides behind a bin. Powerglide zaps the... Decepticons a few times. One of them picks up a the merry-go-round and hurls it at him. Yeah, it's Ramjet. Ramjet is actually the big toughie of the group. He does the most damage, but he does pick up the entire merry-go-round and throw it at Powerglide. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't help. And Powerglide manages to grab Astoria and escape, but pretty soon the jets actually catch up with him and Ramjet rams him. Yeah, living up to his bio, and actually does some damage as well. Yeah, it looks really bad, actually. He's got a nasty busted wing, and he's a bit out of control. Yeah. Actually, he's more than out of control. He has to land. Yeah. He has to land, because he has got a big chunk missing from his wing. Uh, And unlike the previous episode where he reported damage to his wing that he'd have to repair in a jiffy, it doesn't magically repair itself when he transforms. (laughs) Uh, It must be a bit more serious then, of course. It must be. Um, and he's clutching his arm, and uh, Astoria notices he's hurt and just, oh, oh, stop being so macho and let me help, and uh, does the classic thing of tearing a strip off her dress and using it as a bandage. Yeah. And more more great acting from her again in this scene. Uh, she's She's got the, you wouldn't feel anything like that about me. Of course not. You're a robot. And I just love the delivery of those lines. She does it so in a slightly flat way and a disappointed way. And it's just really good. It, it is nice. It's a nice moment, um, mm. you know, with, with her. And she, she's an interesting character. She's, she's insufferable in many ways uh, with no idea of the urgency of the situations. Like I want to get some food. I want to do this. I want to do that. And clearly, you know, someone in her position that's uh, people don't say no to her very often. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's pampered. Spoiled. She's a very very pampered, spoiled um, 
young woman. And yet she also demonstrates these moments of kindness, like when she bandages Power Glide's arm and, uh, and you know, thanks him for the rescue and things like that. So it, it is a nice... It is a nicely done, nicely portrayed relationship, I think. Yeah. But they don't get much time to sit together and chat about stuff, do they? Because well, this no, is because there are three there are three jets still after them. Yeah. And they arrive. And how how does it go for Power Glide this time? Uh, very, very badly. Because he is injured. He's not well at all. They kick him, basically, they knock him off the cliff and down a chasm there's another chasm yet again there's another chasm in this cartoon um and then they shoot the rocks and bury him in a rock fall yeah i think it's slightly more of an excusable chasm seems they seem to be in some kind of american desert area where you tend to get these chasms so i, I that's yeah. that's it like in indiana jones because there's always a handy chasm when indiana yeah. jones is about absolutely but yeah power glide is buried under a rock pile and the coneheads grab astoria chuck her into Dirge's cockpit, and then they fly off with her. And yeah. Power Glide attempts to follow, but he's injured and he can't. Yeah. Oh, Dirge says that he's going to finish off Power Glide before that, and uh, he covers him with rocks. And we all know yeah. what that means in Transformers. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> he just gets up and knocks the rocks off. So well done, Dirge there. He does. And he tries to transform and follow, yeah. but he can't because he is injured and he crashes again. But help is on the way. And again, it's a couple of people we haven't seen for a while. It's oh, Ratchet. Yeah. And Wheeljack. When, we haven't seen Ratchet for ages. He's been kind of <laughs> ousted by Hoist as the medic of choice these days. But no, it's Ratchet this time round and Wheeljack. I think after that time he was blasted out the top of the volcano because he was hiding in the Ark. He's actually found a much better hiding place where he knows he'll be safe. <laughs> and he just isn't coming out for Toffee. But he's coming out for this. Um, and he's in ambulance mode. And they load Power Glide in the back. So he's obviously in gigantic ambulance mode. You know, like yeah, five miles wide. huge. Because <laughs> Wheeljack and Power Glide fit in the back quite happily. Yeah, yeah he's a bit, a bit of a canyonero at this point. Yeah. But, uh, they head back to the Ark and Ratchet is putting Power Glide back together and Power Glide is in a rush. He's got to go and rescue Astoria. And again, this is a uh, this is the bit that one of the bits that stuck in my head. It's like, wait, wait, I'm not done. Is my wing fixed? Can I fly? Well, yes. Well then you're done. <laughs> That's all he wants. Just and to get so, back up in the sky. Yeah. So he goes to see Optimus Prime. Where have they taken her? And Teletran 1 chimes in at that point to tell them that Sky Spy has detected unusual atmospheric disturbance 10 miles above sea level. Sky Spy? I mean, of all the things we haven't seen since, like, Series 1, Sky Spy? Outrageous. Yeah. I thought it had been destroyed, but no, it's still knocking about. Yeah. Uh, 10 miles above sea level. Optimus Prime says it's a Decepticon suborbital station. So Power Glide rushes out and goes straight there. Where are Omega Supreme and Skyfire at this point? That's what I would like to know, but well, uh, we will never know because Power Glide's in a hurry. He doesn't think about, shall I get two of the toughest Autobots that we've got in our army to help who can also fly? Nope, nope, he's just going to do it himself. And it's nope. a better episode for it, to be honest. Yep. But there is indeed some kind of flying station in the sky, and it has cold kinds of... Um, towers on the top and it has a big mast right in the middle which appears to be emitting some kind of energy beams 
um, radiating out from it. And apparently, uh, Megatron says that now this uh, base is operational, it will use the Earth's magnetic field to convert it into raw energon. So kind of some justification for why this whacking great suborbital <laughs> station has appeared. It's like, yeah, we are actually going to use it to turn in stuff into energon. Yeah, he's chatting with the Constructicons and Hook in particular. Hook is in this episode, which is, uh, it, it's just nice to see them building stuff and doing Constructicon-y stuff. Yeah. I do like that. And and also, uh, turn the Earth's electromagnetic field into raw energy. That sounds like it would work to me. That sounds like a good plan. It may well work, uh, provided he can get Astoria to tell him about the energy formula that her father was working on. This is what this is why we don't have it. If we had that energy formula from Astoria, we wouldn't worry about fossil fuels anymore. We'd just be getting it all from the electromagnetic field. We would, we would. But she doesn't know, and she's in full on pissing everybody off mode at this point. She's just complaining about yeah, the worst host. When are you going to feed me? That's what I want to know. I'm hungry. <laughs> all I know is that you are a complete and utter. Silence! <laughs> I love this whole sequence uh, because it has Megatron getting more and more angry and frustrated by her. She just doesn't seem to care. She's just going off on one. Uh, the machine isn't working properly because Soundwave, they, they use the psycho probe to probe her mind. Yep. But according to Soundwave, subject's mind is completely empty. Yeah, but then he does say that there's a computer error shortly afterwards. So I, I yes. may, but then again, maybe her mind is completely empty. Maybe it certainly doesn't contain what you know, what they want. Um, the connectors on her temples keep falling off. It all keeps malfunctioning. Megatron says, "Oh well, hold them in place if you have to," and then he tries to activate it, and it just zaps Soundwave and Rumble instead. Yeah, ninety thousand volts going through Soundwave and Rumble. They don't like it. They say, "Turn it off." They don't like it at all. And Megatron's like, "I don't believe this," and blasts the machine completely with his fusion cannon. So he is absolutely losing his nut at this point. Uh, it's great to see. Is it's a wonderful scene. I love it. Um, but then Hook reports that an Autobot is approaching the platform, and so the Decepticons go out to meet him. Once they've gone, Astoria manages to pull her hands through the restraints. Yeah. To be fair, she has tiny, tiny wrists. Also, she to does. be fair, she's an absolute ragdoll throughout this entire story. Yes. Well, the Decepticons are laughing at Powerglide because he's trying to fly through this energy, um, radiating energy field that the tower is creating and he can't do it he can't manage it he's he's suffering so i don't know how much more of this i can take but astoria comes to the rescue because bizarrely she says it seems to be coming from that mast maybe something metal will disrupt it and she looks around and goes nothing she is standing on a platform made entirely out of metal things and she can't find anything metal to throw. I mean, she could go back into the room she just came out of and find some of the wreckage that Megatron blasted away. <laughs> Anything, but no, nothing, no, she no, says. No, no metal, no, no metal. Well, no metal she get her hands on, although later we do see that she is quite capable of ripping panels off metal walls. Yes. Maybe it's made of plasticine, this suborbital platform. Anyway. Who knows? But she says, sorry, Dad, I've got to chuck the formula to save him. And she takes off the necklace. 
because apparently the energy formula was contained in that necklace somehow. Ah, yes, it was in the necklace somehow, yes. It might be on a little bit of paper. We just don't know. It was in the necklace anyway. Yeah, maybe it's like those cat collars. You know, you unscrew it and there's a little tiny piece of paper inside which has all the information (laughs) on it. I don't know. But she uh, she demonstrates some amazing throwing skills by lugging this thing up the height of this mast. <laughs> and yes, it does indeed disrupt it to the point where the tower explodes and collapses and lands on one of the other towers. I'm putting this down to a jinx. But anyway, it prompts a return to headquarters at 17 minutes and 40 seconds. 1740, that is well early and might be one of the earliest retreats that we've seen in this uh, adventure. It might, it might be. Uh, but yes, it does indeed trigger that return because, of course, now things are going wrong. The sky platform is suffering from the problem that all sky platforms have, which is why I, don't, I never quite buy into it whenever I see it. It's a common thing you see in, in lots of sci-fi things is some kind of floating city or something like that, like Cloud City in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, there's an episode of Firefly where there's a luxury planet, which is basically an op- ocean planet, and all the millionaires live on things that hover in the air some miles up yeah and uh, it always bugs me a bit when they do these things because it's not fail safe yes because as soon as anything goes wrong it's going down that's (laughs) gravity for you um I think also, given that they're all complaining about trying to find energy on all the time to build a suborbital platform if you're in the Earth, if you're within the Earth's atmosphere, basically you have to expend energy continuously to stay at the same height, don't you? You're going to have to yes. be chucking out some kind of force field or jet engine or something, and it's quite a lot of energy to keep. The larger your mass, the more energy you'd have to chuck out to keep yourself up in the air. So it seems a bit. It's very inefficient. It's horrendously inefficient. They'd be better off making an actual space station because once you're up and in orbit, you don't need to expend any energy to stay there. Just sits there. <laughs> but uh, but no, yeah. So it starts to it starts to fall. Power Glide and Astoria go into the control room to uh, they argue a bit. Yep. <laughs> Power Glide. Well, Power Glide does offer her the chance to escape by giving her a parachute. Yes. A parachute that has a handle, so it doesn't strap onto her. She'd have to hang onto it all the way down, and then she'd land in the sea. I love the way he produces the parachute in his hand, and it makes a sort of brrrp noise as it <laughs> extends. <laughs> and it's just a perfect... It's it's like an extended parachute, because like, if, if he'd given her a backpack, that would have made sense. But no, yeah. he's got this handheld parachute thing, and it's just crazy. But she chucks yeah. it anyway, because it's just nonsense. I'm staying with you, she says. And so they go into the control room and uh, Powerglide asks her to get a panel open. And yeah, she rips it off with her bare hands somehow. <laughs> Spike level strength. Yeah. So Powerglide repairs the uh, controls, but it's not working for some reason. No. And that for some reason is Astoria herself. Yep, she is jinxing the controls. So his uh, brilliant solution to this is basically to backhand her out of the door. <laughs> it's like it's like someone playing cricket. It's like, and out she goes. <laughs> out she goes. Uh, and he manages to set a new course because the controls are now working. But as she points out, they're still going downwards. And he said, yep, absolutely we are. It's all part and of the plan. He, he transforms and they fly off. There we go. And then we're in your favourite place. 
Yeah, the undersea base. Yeah, and this is this is actually great to see as well. Not just for what happens, but to see them come back after a mission and just go. Oh well, at least all our holes are still in one place," says Rumble. Never <laughs> they just mind. dust themselves it... off. Yeah, it'd be all right. And what about the platform? Well, that's their problem. And then Soundwave has a marvelous line. Because the platform is now falling directly towards the undersea base. This is absolutely hilarious. I loved this. I loved. I loved it. I must have loved it as a kid, and I certainly love it now. I laughed yeah. my arse off at it. It's absolutely brilliant. Megatron orders Soundwave to raise the force shields. <laughs> what force shields? <laughs> and so it crashes in and cracks the walls. Water starts flooding in. And Megatron gives the Decepticons new orders, which are... Clean clean up this mess! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And and Frank Welker does a brilliant job with it as well. Again, another untenable location for your base is underwater. In the air, underwater. And the two come together perfectly in this episode. What a treat. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant conclusion to the episode there with the Decepticons getting their comeuppance, which is, uh, which is great. Back in the city, uh, they find, the Autobots finally realised that they wanted Astoria because of the energy formula in her necklace. Ah, but no, because Astoria just says they're after my necklace and she doesn't actually explain why. Powerglide never knows that there was an energy <laughs> formula in it. She just says, oh, they just wanted my necklace. Uh, okay <laughs> it's very confusing for him ah uh, well she's going to be heading back to hybrid technologies now but power glide asks if next time he's in the city maybe he could look her up oh yeah and she's delighted by this and she gives him a big kiss yeah unfortunately he does this in front of everyone spark plug spike ironhide ratchet and prime and they all start laughing about it yeah Swines. <laughs> a nice yeah. moment for him. Why can't they let him have it? Why do they have to take the Mickey? Yeah. Sparkplug <laughs> says, Who would have believed it? Power Glide shot down by Cupid in a kind of rude <laughs> way. And then Prime probably says, Shut up and go and fix more cars, Sparkplug. <laughs> <laughs> Got another 130 to do. You've only done 70. You've been working <laughs> you've it for six months. <laughs> so, yeah, but Power Glide has a bit of a swipe at them and then. As he enters the building, opens up his chest panel and there's some weird, for some reason, flashing pink lights in a heart shape in his chest. Ah, you know what this, uh, uh, you know what this reminds me of? So that's the end of the episode. But did you ever have Tommy's Lights Alive? No, I wanted it, but I never had it. So this is this little like handheld device that you had and it had loads of little dots on the screen and underneath it had uh, glowing lights. And what you'd do is you'd get the little shape presses out and you'd press down the little bubble dot things and you could make light shapes in a sort of <laughs> dot pattern. And because the heart is in that sort of dot pattern, it just made me think of that toy very much because we certainly had that. Uh, yeah, so Tommy's Lights Alive making a brief appearance on Transformers. Making a brief appearance on Transformers. So who is your man of the match for that one? Well, it's it's got to be either the girl or Power Glide, and I'm kind of fifty fifty. But I think that 
Oh, I don't know. What have you got? What have you got? Uh, yeah, I, I'm much the same. I think um, I, I kind of think I ought to give it to Astoria for the way that she stood up to Megatron by basically not caring that she's being captured and interrogated by evil giant transforming robots. Uh, but she is incredibly annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Power, power Glide it is then for putting power up glide. putting up with Astoria and her Jinx effect. And also being tenacious enough to go after after her when it was against all odds that he would even survive the adventure. Yes, absolutely. Bravery and heroism. Yeah. Um, I, 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 an, honor, an honorary star to Ramjet because Ramjet managed to inflict the most damage on Power Glide. He threw a merry-go-round at him and rammed him and did quite well out of the code heads, I thought. Yes, he, he did. He definitely did. But um, but yeah, I, so that was uh, that episode was. So what did you think of that episode then? Well, it's two for two for me. That was also I also loved that one. I love the acting that Laurie O'Brien does. Uh, she's got a, she's got another famous role, which is she is Miss Piggy in Muppet Babies. Oh, is she for one hundred and seven <laughs> episodes? Yeah. Okay. So you see the connection there. But I, I think it's 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 silly. It's very daft. Uh, it, as you say, it's got, but it's got a lot going for it. It's a good story. It focuses on two characters, really. It's Power Glide and Astoria. It's all the better for it. And it's got great animation as well. I love the way the clouds were drawn in this story. They're very kind of like somebody's been watching Bob Ross uh, for, this, <laughs> for this episode. And everything else looks great. It just, it just holds up well. And the things that don't make sense don't matter. It's just great. Yeah, I thought it was a good, solid story. It was uh, well plotted. With the fact that they've got a temporary base that is then used at the end to give them the uh, <laughs> give, give them their uh, their comeuppance, I thought it was great. And the dialogue is is marvelous um, throughout. I think, and I love the scene with Megatron trying to extract the information from Astoria and failing miserably and getting more and more frustrated. <laughs> yeah that's quite brilliant isn't it that's really cool yeah and then the comic ending when they're back at their base going okay it's all over oh crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i remember Soundwave's lines in particular always made me laugh like what force fields <laughs> yeah he, get, he gets the comedy lines he's 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 the he's the funny man of the group but yeah no, it's it's brilliantly done and a real classic and if you want to watch it again you can, because there's uh, David Wise, as it's a David Wise episode. It was recycled for an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But yeah, but no, good, good, good episode. Two good episodes. And there's more to come. What's up next? What's up next? Well, let me have a look into the future. I've dipped into our future and I can see that we are, we found Alpha Trion. But now that we found Alpha Trion and the girls love Power Glide, we've got to go somewhere else. We've got to go to Hollywood. Oh, We've got with a, hoist, with hoist, and then we are. No, it's the key to Vector Sigma Part One. Ah, excellent! Well, <laughs> that's definitely something to look forward to. I uh, hope uh, you will all join us for that as well. But for now, all that remains is to say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson, co-hosting with Stephen Alexander. We'll be back next week for some more awesome animated adventuring. But in the meantime, it's my podcast, and I'll cry if I want to. That was Robots in Your Eyes. 
You can find us on Twitter at RobotsInEyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. 